Welcome, apartment investors. You're listening to Reap Equity's podcast show, Passive Wealth Through Multifamily Investing. Reap Equity owns and manages 1,800 units and brings a unique behind-the-scenes look at apartment investing. During this program, you will hear from REAP principals and real-life successful multifamily professionals who will provide proven advice on why apartment investing is the best investment vehicle to produce passive monthly income. Hello, everyone. This is Arlene Garza. I want to tell you a little bit about myself before we get started into our topic. After leaving a 20-year banking career, I decided to become an investor in multifamily in 2012. And currently, we own over 2,600 units in Texas, Florida, and Georgia. And really, this is what I do full-time as part of a three-person partnership called REAP Equity. And we're a vertically integrated real estate investment company, which means we not only acquire them, but we also manage them. So... I want to talk to you today about a topic that we get asked a lot about, and that is, where do you find properties to invest in, and how do you find markets to invest in? And what I'll say is that sometimes folks will come with listings that they found on LoopNet and CoStar uh, for apartments, but I always say, you know, if you are serious about finding an apartment complex to buy, it's really best to work with a commercial broker that specializes in multifamily. It'll give you an edge as a buyer as they're aware of what's happening in the market. They have great sub-market information and are really in tune and in touch with sellers. So if you want to know about a market, a broker will usually be the right place to start. So in the REAP studios today, we've got two great guests, Moses Siller and Zar Haro, who are two top multifamily brokers in San Antonio, and they work with Jones Lang LaSalle. Both Zar and Moses are really well known in San Antonio, so if you're looking in San Antonio, you should look these guys up. But before we launch into our topic, I'd like to First of all, thank uh, Moses and Zar for being here today and also ask them to share a little bit about their background. And I'll start with Moses. Tell us a little bit about, you know, where you started. And I have to interject really quickly that Moses sold us our first property. We bought 24 unit apartment complex in Balcones Heights. So we have a fun place in our heart for Moses because he helped us get started um, and he's helped a lot of others. So Moses, tell us about your background. Thank you, Arlene. Again, pleasure to be here with you guys. We've known each other for a very long time, and I sold you guys your first uh, 24-unit apartment complex, and you bought (laughs) probably my first or second uh, listing as I started in the business. So it's great that, you know, we're still doing this and have been able to um, uh, benefit from uh, the current market conditions. But a little bit about myself. I, I was born and raised here in San Antonio, attended high school here, uh, attended college uh, at uh, UTSA, have been in the business going on about 10 years now. And um, I started off my professional career working for WAMU, you know, right up to the 2008 run-up. And as things were going uh, backwards, I, for whatever reason, thought it'd be a good idea to uh, get into a part. <laughs> that took a little while to get going for me, but it's been a very fruitful and interesting and passionate way of earning a, a living and learning a new craft. Wonderful. Well, your your partner in crime, Zar Haro, is with us also, and Zar sold us our first big property, over 200 units, which put us in a nice position with brokers and sellers because we were in a different league at that point. He provided a lot of guidance on that transaction, and we greatly appreciate what he's been able to help us get done in this market. So, Zara, tell us about your background and how you started in, in the industry. 
I'll tell you a quick funny story about me and Moses, and I'll tell you a little bit about what we did. Great. So Mo- I love stories. <laughs> me and Moses went to the same university, had all the same friends, probably dated the same girls, <laughs> but we didn't know each other. Interesting. And so uh, we, ha- we, we still reminisce about, did you know this person? Did you know that person? So we both grew up in San Antonio, and we know it like the back of our our mind, which is good and bad sometimes because sometimes you know things too well. But uh, my background, while Moses was selling people no income, no asset, no job, loans, <laughs> I was doing commercial real estate loans in New York City, uh, essentially doing debt and equity finance for commercial real estate, a lot of concentration in multifamily. And then I moved to Dallas in 2007. We did a year there for a company called Meridian Capital. And then the 08 crash happened and they decided to close down the office. So we started working at literally, we got hired on the same day. And they said, here's a desk, here's a phone. We worked at Marcus Millichap, you know, a great place to start for a lot of new brokers in the marketplace. And so that's where we started and started selling smaller properties and then got bigger and bigger and bigger and to where we're you know, legitimate, you know, power team here in San Antonio that sells a lot of multifamily. That's kind of our background and where we started. Great. Well, you're both in San Antonio, and I think it's interesting that you both are graduates of UTSA. Our son is at UTSA right now in the real estate finance program, and it's just a proud thing to see how the university has grown in the market and how it's contributing to the economy and to the companies that are coming here looking for talent. So both in San Antonio market, uh, you've stayed in touch, however, on what's going on on a national and a state level because it's part of what you do. So I think Texas, for example, has been a hot spot for multifamily investing for a lot of good reasons. And I'd like to talk a little bit about what's happening in the Texas apartment market and then shift over to San Antonio more specifically. So Moses, I'll start with you. In the Texas market today, who are the players that you're seeing on the buying side? Yeah, so uh, Arlene, you alluded to uh Texas and how strong of a, a market Texas has been. And we've got a tremendous amount of in-migration. We've got strong employment drivers, and we've got strong interest from all different buyer groups in all the different type of multifamily asset class. So, you know, in the class A institutional realm and in the, you know, the beautiful high rises that we see in Dallas and Austin, there's no shortage of uh, foreign capital coming into Texas, not to mention Wall Street money. And the space in the asset class that myself and Zar spend most of our time in, which we would call the B and C apartment market, that market in and of itself is very frothy as well. We've got a tremendous amount of investor interest coming from the East and the West Coast, but not to mention uh, folks that are uh, local here in Texas. So the markets are very frothy and there is no shortage of buyers coming from out of state as well as local to Texas. Why do you think Texas is so attractive to multifamily buyers? You know, I've been to a lot of places. I love Texas. I think hospitality goes a long way and I think that that's a, a small component of it. But our economy is doing great. We're seeing a lot of in-migration. We're seeing strong job growth. We're seeing relative strong wage growth. 
and specifically to Texas, it's a good middle market place for investors to uh, place their money. Not to mention, if you're coming from out of state, it's not very difficult to get to the middle of uh, the United States, and, and Texas is right there. I'll, I'll answer some of that as well. It's, it's interesting that we're seeing, in Dallas, you're seeing a lot of corporate relocations that are happening for major fi- major Fortune 500 companies that are really feeling the gap there. And that's really why Dallas is kind of on fire. They've been able to be successful in their incentive packages to bring big, major corporations. A lot of them are being taken out of California. Houston has had a, its ups and downs, but is a good corporate relocator, but also has the ability to, you know, as energy resurgence is happening, essentially Texas's oil prices are coming up. You're seeing Houston start to see some real interesting fundamentals. And then with the rise in tech, you're seeing in Austin, that's really one of the largest job creators there in Austin is the technology and the in-migration coming from California and New York and other places that you haven't seen. And the toughness to build in Austin is probably a challenge, so you're seeing good rental growth there. And San Antonio, which is interesting, is also seeing its own version of technology that's coming to the table. But because we are military city USA, a lot of that technology that's being created is more foreign, sorry, is more security related to the government. So a property that you own near Westover Hills, Aragon Place is a very good example of that. As as rental rates are moving up in what we call essentially Security Hill, which is Cybersecurity Hill, which was named after Westover Hills, you're seeing a lot of jobs being created there. And so as a result, the BNC product is now starting to get more full because occupancies are moving quite high in the area. So we're seeing that Texas overall is seeing some really interesting job growth across all the spectrums, and the buyers that are coming to the table are noticing it, but the buyers are capitalized a little differently than we typically have seen. Today, uh, you have major institutions in the BNC space foreign investors that are funding those institutions and that's why you see you know four and a half caps and and bnc in dallas and you see institutions are playing but they're really playing at the fund level but that's why it's getting harder before it was you know four or five local groups that would come to the table on bnc product and now those buyers can literally come from anywhere in texas and everybody's starting a new fund. Syndication has really increased in Texas, and that's becoming a legitimate force in the uh, ability to raise money. And the Internet has helped people raise money through realty shares and other online crowdfunding sources. So the amount of capital chasing multifamily in general is pretty dramatic, and it's a lot different than it was 10 years ago. So capital inflow into the state from all over because of our great demographics, because of um, the growth in the state does drive a lot. And you typically will hear the Texas Triangle. Moses, tell us which cities kind of make up that triangle and is the bulk of the activity within that area or are you seeing activity in other parts? Yeah, so uh, the Texas Triangle, I think you're referring to uh, what would be uh, Dallas, uh, north of us, Houston to the east, and San Antonio and Austin west. For the most part, in terms of overall inventory in the state of Texas, uh, the Texas Triangle is 
you know, largely a bulk of that. So we are seeing a bulk of the transaction happening in the Texas Triangle. Again, the Texas Triangle being uh, Dallas, Houston, and west to San Antonio. But there's also a significant opportunity in secondary and tertiary markets in San Antonio or, or in Texas as well. Um, so depending on you as a buyer, what you guys or what you're trying to accomplish, there's uh, opportunities within the Texas Triangle as well as uh, secondary and tertiary markets throughout Texas. Great. So, so Zar, uh, I'll kick it over to you. Moses mentioned primary, secondary, and tertiary markets. So give us just a brief high-level definition of those markets and or give us some of the cities that you would consider to be in a primary, a secondary, or tertiary market. So institutions, they're called gateway markets, so it would be essentially New York, L.A., places like that, Chicago, really major cities. Dallas is one of the institutional markets. But as we as we delve down, we we then go to te- what we call Texas primary markets, or the major four, which is Dallas, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, and most capital that comes out of the marketplace usually looks in that order. And then San Antonio is unique in that it is really all all four. For some groups, it's a primary market because it's a Texas primary. For institutions, it's typically not a an institutional market, but it's also a very private market in which there's a lot of individuals that play here. So San Antonio is really the launching pad for a lot of these secondary markets, typically private or quasi-institutional, or they're institutionally backed, but they have an opportunity fund. And that's, San Antonio has been the launching pad for that in a lot of these tertiary locations. So tertiary locations would be considered, you know, San Angelo, really kind of really hard to get to locations from a drive standpoint. But we also call them Texas secondary markets, which would be places like Corpus Christi, the Rio Grande Valley, Longview, Tyler, and usually the metric for investors that are private or quasi-institutional is if you can drive there and back and it's two hours from a major market, it's usually a sub-market of that Texas primary market. So there's plenty of investors in San Antonio that also own in Corpus Christi or live in Austin and uh, own assets in Temple, Texas or Waco. Uh, And what's interesting is when we see Waco or Temple, Texas assets, Dallas is fighting over it, Austin's fighting over it, and a lot of the capital flow is coming from there. So it really is the kind of sub-markets of these Texas primary markets, but the really hard ones to get to, like Midland, Odessa, San Angelo, Laredo, those are more considered tertiary-type markets. So what what do you think is driving the movement into some of those markets? Are, is it pricing, cap rates, availability of, of product? What What's driving that? There's a couple things. So as the market's really flooded with capital, from every different perspective, you're seeing investors that'll go and they're typically chasing yield and they're not necessarily IRR driven. Most of the major market B and C is all, what can I do with this property, renovate it to achieve some sort of return in year two or three that's going to be where I can have a capital event, but I expect to make no money in this business for the next two years. And that's typically the value-add strategy. You see the value-add strategy happening in secondary and and tertiary markets, 
But it's usually for somebody that says, you know, I got to get paid current today. I have to make some sort of return, 7 to 8% cash on cash returns in a tertiary market with a little bit of upside. So for a lot of private individuals, it feels better that way. They can raise money. And, you know, now in Dallas, you're having to, you know, come down with 35% down to make something work. If the deal sizes are now 20, 30 million, that's a pretty significant equity raise. So we're seeing a lot of syndicators come into secondary markets and private investors come into secondary markets. They can't compete with institutions and they're going into places where, you know, I can do a 10, 12 million dollar deal and raise 20, 25% down and still get similar returns uh, as the guys in Dallas are doing. I just may have to jump in my car and I can't go see and touch the property every day. So that's where we're seeing the returns aren't that much different. They're just a portion of the cash flow is made up more in on secondary and tertiary markets on the front end versus on the back end. There's a big pop. Uh, and you're not going to do the same renovations that you'd see in Dallas where you're trying to get two, $300 rent increases, whereas in some of these secondary and tertiary markets, you're going to do a modest renovation, let's say $3,500, to upgrade some older units and try to get $100, $125 increases to bring you to market, whereas Dallas maybe two, $300 increases with big you know, stainless steel, granite-type renovations in good neighborhoods. Sure. Well, thanks for that. And, you know, Moses, in these markets, especially when you look at – let's look at the top markets in Texas where you've got Dallas, Houston – or Dallas-Fort Worth. I must name them together – Houston, San Antonio, and Austin, which one would you consider to be the most competitive or which ones are the most competitive? So if if you're just uh, looking from the outside in, I, I would say that what we're seeing uh, here in San Antonio in terms of competitiveness is people go to Dallas and they're getting priced out of the market. They're seeing how competitive it is. They go to Houston, they're seeing the same thing. And for a few minutes, they look at Austin and say, you know what, we're just going to skip Austin altogether. <laughs> um, and they come down to San Antonio. And um, once they get to San Antonio, that they, they see that <clears throat> this market, it might not be as competitive as Dallas and Houston uh, on a price per unit or on cap rates, but it's still tough to get in the San Antonio market. Uh, you know, Texas is doing well as, as a market, and there is a lot of attention here, and buyers are realizing that it's very, very competitive. So in terms of those four markets, I think San Antonio is the least competitive compared to Dallas and Houston, but uh, San Antonio is very competitive in and of itself. Um, and what we're seeing is folks like Reeb, Arlene, uh, you guys who have a good track record are able to come in and take opportunities where maybe outside investors, folks that are new to the market, are having a hard time doing so. One of the things that I'll also say is that Texas is getting competitive from an information standpoint. Build relationships with the four or five brokerage houses. There's really four or five brokerage houses control probably 80% of the inventory. Make friends with those local brokers. Don't burn any bridges. You know, Be forthright when you're talking to them because they all have other colleagues in other marketplaces that if you're a bad guy or a bad girl, it's going to travel real quick and you'll, you'll, you'll know why you're not winning really quickly. So always be – my recommendation is if you're looking to buy something, be fair, be honest. Uh, but no, you know, negotiate well. 
Sure. And I think to both of your points, I mean, whether you're in a competitive market or less competitive market, you've got to be a good buyer. You've got to present yourself in a way that the brokers are going to take you seriously and be willing to present your offer as, you know, a buyer that can close and that is won't retrade or won't renegotiate, you know, really crazy things and in the end get to the closing table and and make it a smooth transition in the process and so in san antonio you know that's where we play currently we are exploring other markets but we've bought 12 uh, properties in this market and but we've seen the changes you know we started in 2012 and I will tell you, price per door we paid at the time. I wished we'd have bought five or six properties. Uh, but we were starting out, so we started with one. You know, we like San Antonio because it meets our criteria. It has good population growth, good job growth, and good rent growth. It is becoming a little more competitive for buyers. And so I, I'd like to kind of know from your standpoint, Moses, are you seeing larger volumes of transactions in the market currently or less transactions than you've seen maybe in 16 and yeah, fifteen and sixteen. So there is no shortage of inventory, and the amount of volume uh, that we have in San Antonio is definitely higher than it was at the beginning of this cycle. I would say that, uh, to your point, Arlene, that there are a lot of opportunities in San Antonio. But if you're coming in as a new buyer, um, it's important that you build uh, and start creating a good reputation for yourself. Um, if you're in the market and you're competing against four or five other groups, it's important that you distinguish yourself by committing to your terms and following through with that and starting a good reputation. There is a lot of inventory. There's a lot of good assets to be purchased, but it's going to the folks that have a good reputation and that have been in the marketplace and are uh, well-established with the brokerage community. And even though uh, some of these groups, uh, even if you're not uh, well-established, it's, it's it's good practice to uh, follow through with what you say you're going to do because, Arlene, ultimately we are just in intermediaries between uh, buyers and sellers, and we have to make sure that if we go and present you to a seller to purchase their asset, we feel comfortable that you're going to commit to doing you know what's in the contract and to the terms you've given up front. Great. Well, thank you for that, Moses. I think one of the other things I wanted to cover about the San Antonio market is, um, you know, Zara, what's happening with new builds? Are we seeing a lot more activity there? Our experience is that San Antonio is is a high percentage B.C. market from what we've seen. And we love that because that's what we like. We like to buy B and C. So if you can talk a little bit about what's happening on the construction end, new builds, how is that affecting the market matrix of vacancy, rent, concessions, et cetera? And then tell us a little bit about cap rates and what's happening with prices and cap rates in this market. First, I'll start with new construction. What's interesting about San Antonio is really the major pockets of construction are the best neighborhoods in the city. What we're seeing is is that the best neighborhoods are somewhat oversupplied at the current moment, but we're also seeing that one of the most breathtaking things to see in Class A is that from the Class A and new construction, from 2008 to today, we've literally put 25% of the entire stock of San Antonio's apartments into the marketplace. Any other market in the country, if you added that much stock in a 10-year period that you did in a 70-year period, you would not see that type of absorption. But 
we've still been able to see rental growth in San Antonio, even with all of the units that were put online. A lot of them are concentrated in areas like I-10 and 1604 near Lock and Terra and the Rim, downtown, and then Westover Hills are also called Cyber Hill. That's where we're seeing a lot of the pockets of new construction. But where we're finding opportunities today is in places that Moses and I would probably say 10 years ago, I would never put my money in that side of town. That's where we're seeing the best rental growth because the average person has to uh, have a place that's going to be an affordable, reasonable place to be. And that's why I think that Reef's been so successful in their uh, in their enterprises. They offer clean, functional, at a reasonable price, uh, and best in class for their type of asset. So they, a lot of it is management, and a lot of it is offering good product to the marketplace to stay full. Those are the basics that apartment dwellers look for, and you just give them the basics and they'll rent. Going back to cap rates, returns, San Antonio is a five and a half to six cap market in the BNC value add space. It's a six to call it six and a half if it's already renovated. And in the A class, usually it's anywhere from a five to five and a half cap. Year one, concessions burned off underwriting. But we see everything along those lines that where pricing is ending up. Uh, but it just depends on location, quality of the asset to get those types of cap rates. But bidders that are winning, there isn't a, a huge variance between buyer number one, two, three, and four. A lot of it's reputational. A lot of it's, you can, you can give a price where you, you're going to start, but if you have a bad reputation and everybody knows that you're not going to end there, you'll get eliminated pretty quickly. We'll call our competitors. We'll call everybody to find out, is this if we don't know you that well, is this person a good person that we could say sell to them? So hopefully that answered some of the questions that uh, that you had at play here. Yeah, for sure. And I think the other thing, just to touch on just very briefly, Moses, is, you know, in addition to what Zara is telling us about cap rates and pricing, we're in a rising rate environment. Do you guys see prices stabilizing, softening a little, or where are we going in the next, let's say, six months to a year? So every market cycle has, it's not a one-to-one ratio. Interest rates move and cap rates move. There's about an 18-month fight between buyers and sellers, and usually 12 months in, you see a gap. So in 2008, when sellers are like, no, 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 it's not happening. Some projects won't transact. Some will. Some buyers will adjust if they just need to buy something. But we're seeing usually cap rate adjustment takes about 18 months to actually see pricing relief. But the returns don't change. Sure. So regardless of whether interest rates move, the returns that people are backing into are still, I need a 17 to 18 IRR in San Antonio for value add, and I need a... 7 to 8% cash on cash return or can get there pretty quickly to be able to pay out to my investors to make those types of returns. Now, if you know, you're know you just a, a wealthy individual, you can pay whatever you want, but most money today, that's what the metrics are. And so, as I said, 17 to 18, so some winners are going to have to be okay with 17 and some sellers are going to be, you know what, this is the end of the road for me. I don't want to be in the apartment business. I'll sell it for an 18% IRR. I don't really care that much. I bought it in 08, and I'm selling it at the top of the market in 2018. They don't care that much. So they want they may want to pick somebody that they know is going to close 
without any hassle. So from a buyer's side, you're always looking at the returns, right? I mean, that's how we, we do our, when we look at our underwriting, that's how we make our decisions. It's going to generate the returns that our investors want, that we want. And so I think you're right. Everything you're saying make, makes all the sense. And I will say that one of the things that has, that you've got to change your strategy is if you're not capitalized correctly from a debt perspective and you're not shopping the debt in the marketplace or has an intermediary that's shopping the best product because you know Fannie Freddie may not be the best product today if there's a bank that's offering a below interest rate uh, a below market interest rate and so for that deal it may make sense you could be the winning bidder and make those returns work with a different financing product so that's what's going to make the buyers differentiated today to get to the same returns instead of just going to same old same old you know Fannie Mae Freddie Mac relationship that you may have sure we've seen the insurance companies become really active on the debt side of things and I think competition's always good right if you can get the best rate uh, the best terms for your loan then that's a good day that's a good day uh, for me as a buyer so I, there's a lot going on in the market. We could spend uh, another hour with um, Moses and Czar talking about the market. But I think in summary, what we know is Texas is still strong. San Antonio is doing very well. You know, I'm excited as a buyer to keep keep looking at deals and uh, glad that you guys keep bringing us deals. That's exciting. And really what I want to end with is to share that having relationships with good brokers can help you. Down market, up market. It doesn't matter. Those relationships will take you a long way. As you know, they both have said, both Moses and Zars, it's a reputation. If you've got a reputation as a good buyer, you're going to land some deals. And having access to the great information um, like uh, Zara and Moses have shared today is great as a buyer. You're always in tune and in touch with the market. So if you're an investor out there, or you're buyers, and you're interested in San Antonio and speaking to Czar or Moses about any properties you may want to list or buy. I'd like for um, Czar and Moses to both share their contact information so that you can get a hold of them. So Czar Haro, my email address is czar.haro at jll.com, or you can reach me at 210-839-2004 is my direct line. So when you're not able to get a hold of Czar at his email... You can reach me, Moses Siller, at Moses, M-O-S-E-S dot Siller, S as in Sam, I-L-L-E-R, at A-M dot J-L-L dot com. And I'm readily available on cell, 210-363-0924. No calls after 9 o'clock. I have a baby I have to put down right at 9. So uh, anytime before that, I'm available. We, we got it, Moses. Not after 9. <laughs> Although I will say you guys will answer text and, and other things, uh, other times of the day. So we appreciate that. But again, just no, if, just no new clients after that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Existing clients, you can call us anytime. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you, Czar uh, and Moses, for joining us in the REAP studios today. Stay up to date with REAP Equity by following us on Facebook at REAP Equity TX. We're also on Instagram and LinkedIn. And if you're interested in investing with us or learning more about what we are doing, please fill out your contact form on our website at reapequity.com. Thank you and have a great day.